FatCast Network presents The Beaver Buzz, a look inside Oregon State Athletics with your host, Bob Lundeberg. Welcome, everybody, to the Beaver Buzz podcast, part of the ThatCast podcast network. This is your host, Bob Lundeberg, and I have to say it feels pretty darn good to be talking to you guys following an Oregon State victory this time. As all of you surely know, the Beavers took care of business um, against Cal Poly 45-7 to last weekend for their first win of the season. Oregon State uh, now enters its first of two bye weeks with a 1-2 and two record in non-conference play. The Beavers are set to begin their Pac-12 slate, nine-game Pac-12 slate, at 4 p.m. next Saturday at home against the Stanford Cardinal. We'll talk uh, much, much more about Stanford and really kind of the Pac-12 outlook as a whole on next week's show. Today, I wanted to more kind of start things off with a, a little bit of a recap of the Cal Poly win, and then I'm going to go ahead and go one by one and hand out some position grades since the Beavers have now completed one quarter of their season. No guests this week, uh, just me. I was going to have Brendan Slaughter from Beavers Edge join me, but Brendan's been a, a little bit under the weather, so um, we wish him the best of health, and hopefully uh, we can connect with him soon. But, you know, with with the with it being 25% of the way through the season, I thought this was actually going to be a really good time to fire through some of these grades anyway. So it'll just be me, and if you want to message me on Twitter and comment on anything about any of my grades or anything I, I say on here, Feel free to do that. I love interacting with fans as much as I possibly can on Twitter. Most of the time, you guys are great to interact with. You know, every now and then, there's certainly a bad egg or two on social media. But uh, I, I really, I really enjoy the friendly back and forth. And by and large, Beaver fans are certainly one of the one of the better fan bases to interact with. All right, then looking specifically at Cal Poly, which, like I said, the Beavers were able to handle pretty easily, forty-five to seven. And I, I think it's safe to say that. That was basically the exact type of performance that this Oregon State team really kind of needed coming off that Hawaii loss in which really almost everything that seemed like could kind of go wrong in the second half did and the Beavers weren't able to pull out that road game. Looking just back to what we saw the, this most past, uh, most recent weekend, you know, Oregon State got the ball first in a, in a game, just a beautiful weather at Reeser. Went right down the field, eight play drives, scored, and I kind of thought from that moment that maybe, hey, this is going to be the exact type of runaway dominant performance that again, I, that Oregon State I thought desperately needed. But then we saw Cal Poly answer right back with an eight play drive of its own, and then at that point, I'm just thinking. Wow, I wonder if it's going to be kind of another one of those days for the Oregon State defense because, you know, we all watched what defensive coordinator Tim Tebasar and the staff last year things did not go well for the Oregon State defense really in almost any game. The Beavers just struggled to stop really the run, the pass, keep teams from out of the end zone. It just wasn't good for the Beavers last year on defense. And then in the Oklahoma State game to open the season, hey, we we all know that the Cowboys are high-powered offense with a lot of talent, but there was some more of the same in that game. And then, you know, against Hawaii, I thought there were definite improvements. But still, the, you know, the Rainbow Warriors were able to put up points when it mattered, were able to erase a double-digit deficit. And at, you know, the defense for Oregon State did not make plays in some certain spots when the team really needed it. But in this Cal Poly game, after 
that opening drive that I referenced, the Mustangs had just 240 yards of total offense after that opening drive, and they didn't score again. And then on the flip side, the Beavers basically did whatever they wanted to on offense. It was 38-7 Oregon State lead at halftime. And Jonathan Smith, the offensive coordinator, Brian Lindgren, really let off the gas in the second half. This game you know, certainly could have been much more than the 45-7 final, but I, I liked what I, I liked what the staff did by getting backup quarterback Tristan Jebbia so much run. I liked that so many different guys were able to kind of cycle in on both sides of the ball. To be fair, I thought this was the exact the exact type of game that you really want to do that when you're facing an FCS, a big sky opponent like Cal Poly. That just, you know, the better athletes, better talents, bigger than. It was really definitely a good to see the Beavers get to play so many different guys and still have so much success, really, on offense and defense. And, you know, kind of like I mentioned, I realize it is just Cal Poly, but it, it was, to me, it was just enormous for the OSU defense in particular to put together such a strong performance really after that opening drive because. If looking at the stats, the Mustangs, with a really kind of interesting triple option offense, just averaged 3.5 yards per carry on the ground. And, and I thought the Beavers were able to really control uh, the line of scrimmage on both sides of the ball, but particularly from a defensive perspective. We saw that Oregon State front and uh, linebackers pile up 10 tackles for loss. And in particular, you have to mention John McCartan and Hamaka Rashid two outside backers they had five of those tackles for loss including three sacks as the beavers were really able to get in the backfield and make some plays and then we also saw kind of the beavers belabored secondary that group wasn't tested too much um but sean wilson did have a nice interception and i thought it certainly was uh the best game of the season for the beavers back end now granted it wasn't the strongest competition but i did think there was a little bit of progress made there in terms of what we saw from morgan state's defensive backs and safeties Looking at uh, specifically the Beavers' offense, um, you have to say that it, it was encouraging to see them kind of do basically whatever they wanted um, on offense, just with several key players out. You know, before the game, we learned that running back Jamar Jefferson, you know, arguably the best player on the team, he he was held out with a sore ankle. But we just saw you know B.J. Baylor, Artavis Pierce, and Calvin Tyler. Those three guys combined to rush for 250 yards on just 28 carries. Just great, great running from really all three of them. And something that I don't think surprises anyone because we, we've seen really from all three of those guys going back to the spring and then going back to the previous season. And really for Artavis, something we've seen going back all the way to 2016 these guys can run the ball, and Oregon State just has immense depth at running back, which is probably probably the strongest position group on the entire team. Quarterback Jake Luton, I, I thought he was very crisp and accurate, really pretty much for the entire game. I mean, he didn't have to make too many difficult throws, but you have to credit the guy for being accurate and putting the ball on the money. And then we <laughs> have to mention the little guy, five foot five sophomore receiver Champ Flemings. He hauled in a career best five passes for 142 yards with two scores. One of those being that acrobatic snag over a defensive back that drew so much praise from the national media. I think all of us when we saw that play, we just it was something that we hadn't really seen uh, Champ make before. I mean, good quick route runner, and I think Champ is one of those guys that gets everything out of his little frame. But to see him go up in traffic and make a catch like that, that was that was pretty incredible stuff. And something that I think was really important for the Beavers in that game, considering Trevon Bradford and Tajon Lindsay, two of their best receivers, um, weren't playing. 
And so the fact that Flemings was able to step up and, and maybe be that, I don't know, that number two option in the receiving core behind Isaiah Hodgins, that could be really big for Oregon State moving forward. So we're in the bye week now. Oregon State is one and two overall and looking at a really favorable schedule to start Pac-12 play with struggling Stanford and UCLA. I know a lot of people are still very disappointed with the Hawaii loss. I think that um, it's certainly something that the coaching staff probably admits got away from them. But you know, with the improvement we have seen on both sides of the ball for Oregon State, I, I don't think it's an unreasonable to envision a world in which the Beavers are three and two heading into an October 12 home game with Utah. You know, just looking at the back end of Oregon State's Pac-12 schedule, it is certainly tougher. It's obvious we all know that. But I, I don't think it can be understated just how huge it would be for the program to start 2-0 in Pac-12 play in Jonathan Smith's second season at the helm. And really, that's something that I do think is realistic as we sit right here in mid-September. All right, I'm going to step away for a second and then um, come back in the next segment with some quarter pole grades. I think it will be a little fun, uh, little fun exercise for me to do right here. Thanks again for listening to the Beaver Buzz podcast, and we'll be right back. From Gill Coliseum to Research Stadium, it's the Beaver Buzz with Bob Lundeberg. Well, with a bye week and no opponent to talk about, I did figure this would be the perfect time to kind of grade out each position group on Oregon State's offense and defense. I'm going to skip uh, the special teams because, to be fair, I'm just I'm not an expert in that area. And I also have to admit that I do not love some of the Beavers' return strategies, but uh, I do want to acknowledge uh, that kicker Jordan Shuker has been, I'd say, pretty solid so far this season. He showed some physicality um, getting a ball carrier on the ground in the Hawaii loss, and I and he deserves absolutely 0% of the blame for missing that lengthy field goal late in that game. So I would say uh, Shuker, with what he's done so far, has definitely been a positive development for the team. We'll, uh, we'll go ahead and start um, on the offensive side of the ball just kind of because college football has certainly become such an offensive game over the years. And through the first three weeks, the Beavers are tied with Colorado uh, for 39th nationally in scoring offense at 36.3 points per game. The Beavers, just looking at stats and historical trends, are certainly on track to be one of the best offenses in program history and are averaging uh, 6.4 yards per play, which is probably the, the best number to kind of represent just how effective overall the Beavers have been on offense. This truly is a potentially historical group. Uh, we knew coming into the season there was a lot of talent, and I think that Oregon State's offense as a whole has performed relatively well. Starting with quarterback, I would give that position group probably a B minus. It's been, I would say, solid, but you know, not spectacular. I've thought that overall, uh, Jake Luton, sixth year senior, he's played pretty well um, in weeks one and three with sort of kind of a bizarre week two performance where he just wasn't sharp, wasn't super accurate. And I stand by that. That might have been his worst career game for Oregon State. But all things considered, he's been just fine. Looking at Jake Luton's numbers, you know, completing 55 of 96 passes so far for 675 yards with eight touchdowns. Uh, the, the, those, those numbers are just fine. The completion percentage at 57.3%. 
needs to probably tick up a little bit but that's weighted down just because he was a little bit inaccurate in the Hawaii game and he was also undone by a couple drops you also have to like the fact that Jake Luton has not turned the ball over yet and turnovers were something that he did struggle with at times earlier in his career and the fact that really Oregon State as a whole has been as taking care of the football has been very very good to see Tristan Jabia when he's come in in a little bit of mop-up duty, you know, against Oklahoma State and also against Cal Poly, I thought that I think that he's performed fairly well. He's only completed seven of twelve passes for sixty-six yards, and he had that one interception that was not really his fault. You know, Jebbia seems like he has good command of the offense. I think he throws a very nice catchable ball, and I'm gonna stand by something that I've been saying for a little while now that. Jebbia really does have some things that remind me of Jake Browning with a little bit better arm strength. And I, and again, I realize that I, some people think that that almost might be a negative, which is really weird because Jake Browning did have such a successful career at the University of Washington just because he struggled a little bit as a junior and senior. I, I think we need to acknowledge the fact that Jake Browning was an incredibly successful college quarterback. And if Tristan Jebbia, you know, assuming that he is the starter next year for his final two years at Oregon State, I think he has a shot to put up some really, really good numbers in, you know, Jonathan Smith and Brian Lindgren's system. And I've been encouraged so far what I've seen with Tristan. And then, you know, you have to mention that um, Jack Coletto has also run the ball um, somewhat effectively out of the wildcat formation. He does have the one touchdown, but you know, he's only picked up he's only picked up one net yard of rushing. I think that's a package that maybe Oregon State sprung on some people last year, but certainly nobody at this point in time is going to be caught off guard by the Jack Coletto package. So overall, I will give the quarterbacks a B minus, and I think they certainly have room to grow there. Running back, I just I have to go with a, a just an A on this position group. You know, if you look at the Oklahoma State game, the Beavers didn't necessarily run the ball that effectively, but I don't think that really had much to do with this running back group. That is just it's completely loaded with talent and, and honestly with stars. I mean, I don't really know what more you can say about Jamar Jefferson. He was phenomenal as a freshman, banged up and didn't go against Cal Poly like we talked about earlier, but just step right in. Art Pierce, Calvin Tyler, B.J. Baylor, the unit just doesn't skip a beat at all. You know, this entire group, they all have a slightly different running style. I mean, Jamar is patient with great agility and you know he packs a punch with his size art is just a pure burner i really like the way that tyler and baylor you know run as smaller guys back there and you know it's not just them i mean teron Masson, a freshman who's redshirting is just a fantastic ball carrier too that i could really see making an impact as early as next year it's just it's a it's a pretty amazing just how deep the beavers are at this position when you know you're watching some other games around the country like for example that Texas LSU game and Texas was down to like a walk-on and a converted quarterback I mean I don't it's crazy how you know teams like that of that level are kind of struggling to find running back depth and you look at Oregon State and I think the Beavers have about five six guys that could start for a bunch of power five teams so it's a really credit to the the coaching staff for getting these guys prepped it's a credit for the current recruiting and also some past recruiting for getting a lot of good guys in here and I have to give, you know, uh, just a lot of credit really to the coaching staff. And just it's been it's really, really an impressive group of guys. And I think it's fun to watch them run. You know, I asked Brian Lindgren on this pod, actually, before the season, 
if we would see any, you know, how many two back sets or just, you know, anything like that moving forward. And he certainly said it was a possibility. And maybe we will see a little bit of that in the future because I just I still maintain with how much talent Oregon State has at running back, should really consider getting more of those guys on the field at the same time. So wide receivers, it, it's a, a tough position to grade because of some of the injuries, but I'll give I'll give them a C plus for what they've done so far. It's been a, a decent group, but we still haven't really seen that kind of reliable those reliable options behind Isaiah Hodgins, who you know everyone knows is the team's best receiver. The defenses are paying attention to him, and he is Jake Luton's favorite target. And and Isaiah has been great so far this year, looking at twenty three catches, three hundred and forty seven yards, and five touchdowns, and what I think is very likely going to be his final season in Corvallis, just with his size catch radius and pretty decent lateral quickness i think isaiah is a very good candidate to make the jump uh, and declare early for the nfl draft you know we already kind of talked about champ fleming so it was really good to see him have a nice game against cal poly we haven't seen anything too spectacular yet from spectacular yet from transfer tyjon Lindsay. Um, he didn't play against cal poly and i think he might get more involved in the offense as things go along I really like Colby Taylor as a route runner, and I think he has good hands. He just hasn't gotten a ton of targets yet. And it's been it's been an interesting situation just having Trevon Bradford, who is, you know, kind of likely to be that number two guy behind Hodgins. Well, he hasn't played this year. And Nick Dassel from the Oregonian reported this week that it's possible Bradford could redshirt. So this group, it, it's, you know, it's possible that this is the receiving group that we're going to be looking at with, you know, more of a starting lineup of Hodgins, Lindsay and Flemings. And I think that between either Lindsay or Flemings, one of those two guys kind of needs to be that reliable number two option, just so Hodgins doesn't get so much attention from the other team's secondary. The tight end position group, uh, I'll give a C- from what we've seen so far. And a lot of that is just that they got to have more consistency from Noah Togiai. You know, when he is playing well and at the top of his game, I think Noah can be one of the better tight ends in the entire country. But he's just he's struggled with injuries throughout his entire career. He had a couple big drops in the Hawaii game. And his numbers so far with eight catches for 56 yards, Noah hasn't been super involved yet. I think there's reason to believe he might be more involved going forward. But just from what we've seen so far from Togi, it just hasn't been an enormous season yet. I do have to admit, I really like what I've seen from a couple of the young guys, particularly Tegan Kitoriano from Sprague High School up in Salem and Ben's Luke Musgrave. Uh, those are two kids that I actually did get to see play multiple times in high school, and I thought they were tremendous players that were really good pickups for uh, Jonathan Smith's staff. So it hasn't surprised me that both of those two kids have already started to make a little bit of an impact, and I think we're going to actually see a lot more of Kitoriano and Musgrave moving forward here later in the season. From an offensive line perspective, um, another group that might be a little tougher to grade, but I'll, I'll give those guys probably a B so far, B to B plus. Part of that is just because from the Oklahoma State game, other than kind of the game opening drive, I, I didn't think the offensive line, um, I didn't think the offensive line performed spectacularly in that game against a pretty inexperienced Oklahoma State front. But you know, against Hawaii and Cal Poly, I thought they did a very uh, fairly solid job overall. As we kind of talked about earlier with the running backs. Artavis Pierce and Jamar Jefferson, those guys are actually both on pace to finish around 1,000 yards rushing, so you certainly have to give the offensive line a lot of credit for that. 
And then also from a pass protection perspective, an area the Beavers really, really did struggle with a season ago. The team has allowed just two sacks, and only one of those sacks was on the offensive line. So in terms of run blocking and pass protection, which clearly those are the two main areas you need the offensive line to be successful, I think we've seen great improvement there. Greg Brandle and Gus Lavaca, you know, those guys represented kind of that experienced part of the line at left tackle and left guard, respectively. And I think both those guys have done, you know, just a fine job and kind of what a lot of people figured they would do entering the season. I also think we've we've seen some really good things in the interior from, you know, Onesimus Clark, News Kayubanum, Clay Cordasco, and Nathan Eldridge, the transfer from Arizona, also when he's been healthy. And then at right tackle, Brandon Kipper, I think he looks like he could maybe be an all-conference type of kid by the time he's done. Uh, Really, really like the way he's developed from last year. So definitely have to give credit to Coach Mahalchek for uh, what they've been able to do with that offensive line. Things things aren't quite as rosy, I would say, on the defensive side of the ball. But there definitely is discernible improvement from last year, which is a very, very good thing. So through three games this season, the Beavers are tied for 91st nationally in points allowed per game and are 92nd in rush yards allowed per game. Uh, Oregon State's number 39 national ranking in pass yards allowed per game is definitely skewed because of Cal Poly's run first offense. So even if the Beavers secondary does improve from where it is right now, uh, that ranking is very, very likely to only get worse in the pass happy Pac-12. Uh, looking at the defensive line starting there, uh, I'll give those guys a C-. minus. There's been there's been some improvement uh, throughout the group. I have no doubt at all. Um, we've seen a bunch of tackles for loss um, against Oklahoma State and also against Cal Poly. And there was a semblance of a pass rush at times against Hawaii. But this unit is still just not quite where it needs to be heading into Pac-12 play. Stanford is actually going to be a really interesting test uh, for that defensive line because, you know, the Cardinal have really struggled uh, to run the ball this year. And typically Stanford has that big offensive line and physical run game. And the Cardinal, I think, are still kind of trying to want to do that. But the, the Cardinals just haven't had any success. And we've seen in the past that that Stanford has been able to out-physical the Beavers. So it'll be kind of interesting to see um, how this year's result plays out because I think that the Beavers might have a better chance at competing at the line of scrimmage um, against the Cardinal this year. But still, I I couldn't really go too much higher than a C- because I I don't think the unit has been standout, but it certainly has been improved. Looking at the linebackers, um, I'll give those guys a B- from what we've seen so far. I've talked about this on the pod, but we definitely expected this to be the best unit on the defense coming into the season, and I think there's been no doubt that that certainly has been the case. Avery Roberts is a name I brought up multiple times, and these last two games, we've really seen uh, the linebacker, inside linebacker transfer from Nebraska. He's been flying around sideline to sideline, making plays. Avery is just, he's one of those, he's a very super athletic guy, a high energy guy, and I think he's starting to get a little bit more comfortable on the field. You can really see why um, Avery Roberts was such a high-rated recruit coming out of high school. He's been just an absolutely stellar pickup for Tim Tibisar and staff. 
Um, Omar Spates, true freshman linebacker, originally from Philadelphia, who played last season at Crescent Valley High School. Um, we've really, really seen a lot from Omar already, just kind of making an, an impact there inside linebacker as a freshman. And then John McCartan, he's that rangy outside linebacker we talked a little bit about earlier. He's been really fun to watch so far. I think his potential is very, very high. It's kind of a do-everything outside linebacker in this scheme. And then good friend of the podcast, Hamaka Rashid, he had that big strip sack against Hawaii and has kind of continued to just build upon what I thought was a pretty solid season for him last year. There's no doubt that losing Addison Gums to that torn ACL, that that's that's going to be tough for the team because Addison, I thought, had a really nice first game against Oklahoma State. And we still have even yet to see Andre Hughes-Murray on the field. Hopefully at some point Andre will be able to come back later in the season because I think he is going to add, obviously, a lot of depth um, to the outside linebacker position for Oregon State. But just looking at kind of that group as a whole, I think I've mostly liked what I've seen from the linebackers so far. And there's definitely reason to believe that those guys are going to continue to have a lot of success heading into the Pac-12 season. The defensive backs, that's what uh, was definitely the trickiest probably group to give a grade for. I, I will go ahead and give those guys a D. Um, I, I likely could have gone a little bit meaner, but I, I will be nice um, because some injuries, in fairness, have really impacted the group, making it a little bit tough to grade after only three games. There really are pretty much concerns just about everywhere in the defensive backfield. But I guess starting at, at cornerback, you know, we've seen junior college transfer Nashawn Wright and true freshman JoJo Forrest. Those guys have looked a, a bit overmatched so far in their transition to Division One football. They've certainly gotten some good reps under the belt against pass-happy teams like Hawaii and Oklahoma State. But from what we've seen so far, I'm not sure those guys are really ready to step in and cover Pac-12 receivers. We've seen the Beavers uh, trot out a bunch of other guys at corner just kind of trying to find an answer, whether, you know, a Jaden Grant, a Jaden Robinson, Isaiah Dunn, seen Caleb Hayes, who was a starter all last year. He's gotten a little playing time as well. And no one has really kind of just stepped up and shown that, hey, I can be a, a difference maker. I can be that cover guy at corner that, that you know, you really need in the Pac-12. And I guess... To be fair, just it's kind of downright scary coming into Pac-12 play without really, I, I'd say, any cornerbacks that have kind of made an impact so far for the Beavers. Looking at safety, that, that's that's also been a little bit of a tricky one just due to the injuries with Jalen Moore, that returning starter. He missing those first two games, and then David Morris is out again indefinitely with an injury, and those are certainly two of one, two of your best safeties on the team. And just, you know, kind of just like the corner position, secondary coach Blue Adams, is we've seen a bunch of guys out there um, trying different combinations, figuring out who can be a playmaker for the Beavers at safety. And, you know, other than Sean Wilson, who I'd say has probably been a, a pretty consistent performer, I'm not sure anyone's really broken through at safety yet. So those are uh, my grades for the offensive and defensive sides of the ball. You know, feel free to let me know what you guys think on Twitter, whether I'm being too friendly to a certain group or maybe you know too harsh with any of my grades. I'm certainly just one guy with a microphone and watches the games. It's not like <laughs> it's not like my opinion really means that much. I definitely did find the the defense to be a little bit uh, tougher to evaluate at this point. Just because there's there's been you know I'd say substantial improvement in some certain areas, but you know that you know the unit as a whole just has so far to go to be an average Power Five defense, and, and that fact kind of just makes it a little bit difficult to hand out grades at this point. 
I think we are, as I mentioned earlier, I think we're going to learn a lot about the defense following these upcoming games against Stanford and then UCLA the following week because just neither of those teams have been impressive at all on offense. I think that those are, are two opponents that the Beavers you know, could realistically hold in the low to mid-20s for points. And if the Beavers do that, I really do think the offense, the offense can get to 30 and win those two games. So I'm going to take one last break here and uh, come back to wrap up today's program. From Guild Coliseum to Reeser Stadium, it's the Beaver Buzz with Bob Lundeberg. A couple quick items here before we call the show for the day. Uh, for those of you that did not see uh, the interesting news this week, Oregon State is offering free additional tickets to season ticket holders for football uh, for one of the remaining four home games. So, for example, if a person uh, is a, owns four season tickets, they can claim four additional tickets for the game either against Stanford, Utah, Washington, or Arizona State. And according to what we've seen from Oregon State, uh, these tickets, it's not like they're giving them just the worst tickets in the end zone or up high or anything. For the most part, these tickets have either been right next to wherever the season ticket holder seats are or in the same section. So it's been a really, really good deal for season ticket holders to get to take advantage of this. I think this is a, a brilliant strategy by the athletic department uh, to attempt to get more butts in the seats because it, it's no secret that attendance throughout all of college football is down, and especially at places like Oregon State. They've had a few down seasons in a row. I mean, just look at look at what we saw last weekend. It was a 1 p.m. kickoff on a 70-degree day in mid-September for a game that Oregon State was heavily favored to win. And the announced attendance was a shade under 34,000. And in reality, just looking at who was actually in the seats, that crowd was probably a lot closer to 20,000 than it was 34,000. So there, there are a ton of factors at play here. And again, I think this has been discussed pretty widely on a lot of platforms over the last few years. I mean, Oregon State, just from an Oregon State specific perspective, you know, the Beavers have not been good. Tickets to games, I would say, are quite expensive probably too expensive getting to Corvallis you know is hard for people who live in the Portland metro area on game days and then there's the other big factor that especially these days football can just be more enjoyable to watch on TV at home than to you know go through all those hassles to actually get to the football stadium and as I've you know, this is this is just far from an Oregon State problem I mean the Ducks couldn't crack 50,000 at home Saturday either as a highly ranked team I remember covering last year's matchup uh, with Oregon and Washington, you know, a big game in the Pac-12 North. And that, you know, it might have been announced as a sellout, but sitting up in the press box at Autzen, there were plenty of open seats, you know, kind of throughout the stadium for that game. That's just the nature uh, of where college football is at these days. So I, I really do commend the OSU Athletic Department for finding uh, a creative, different, you know, interesting solution to doing the best they can to to boost the Beavers' struggling attendance numbers. Maybe some of the the people that show up with these free tickets, maybe they'll buy a beer, maybe they'll get a hot dog, maybe they'll buy a hat. You know, there's all kinds of things that they might buy because they weren't they didn't have to pay seventy five bucks or more for a ticket to get in. You know, maybe these people will enjoy the stadium experience. Maybe the weather will be great. They'll They'll really like the product on the field. They'll like the atmosphere, and maybe they'll want to come back. 
And, you know, even if that only happens to a relatively few amount of people, I don't think it's a, I don't think there's any harm in that because it's still worth it to me to try to fill those seats that were just going to be empty anyway. So before I take off, um, I have to say a quick word about the Oregon State women's soccer team, which have really caught my eye because the Beavers, you know, first year coach, first year head coach and Matt Kagan, uh, they were off to a 7-0 and start as of Thursday, including a pair of overtime wins. The Beavers uh, actually wrapped up non-conference play Thursday at home against Idaho, and then we'll begin Pac-12 play next weekend at Washington State. It's really, really cool whenever you have a program you know that was previously struggling a bit. You get a first-year coach in, and things immediately turn around. And it looks like that's exactly what's happened with the women's soccer team. I mean, this rapid success, a 7-0 start, could be 8-0 by the time you guys are listening to it. I mean, under Kagan is, is pretty remarkable considering the team won just two games a season ago. I really think it seems like Scott Barnes has nailed his his two soccer hires um, since becoming athletic director. Since the Beavers, you know, just looking at the men's side, made it to the second round of the NCAA tournament last season under first year coach Terry Boss. So both soccer programs at Oregon State appear to be heading in the right direction, and it's always great to see those Olympic sports having success. I also wanted to give a quick shout out to Oregon State men's golfer Spencer Tibbetts. He won the individual title at the Husky Invitational at six under par. It was a bit of an odd situation as the tournament was shortened from 54 holes to 36 uh, due to inclement weather conditions. But hey, you know, in terms in golf, a win is a win, and it's obviously a great start to the season for Spencer, and also a pretty good start uh, to the season for the OSU golf team as a whole. Uh, those guys finished fourth in the team points race up there at the Husky Invitational. So uh, kudos to Spencer and the OSU men's golf team uh, for getting the 2019-20 uh, season off on a strong footing. That will do it uh, for this week's edition of the Beaver Buzz podcast, part of the ThatCast podcast network. I know that I plan on enjoying plenty of college and NFL football this weekend with the Beavers being off. I think I'm looking forward to uh, a bunch of games, but probably none more so than Utah, USC, and Oregon, Stanford. Those are, are four teams that I, all, I think could all potentially be fairly good, but have, have, I certainly have some questions at, at this point in the season. So I'm highly interested to see how both of those games play out. Thanks again uh, for listening, everyone, and I will be back next week with a show to preview the Stanford game. Take care.